Hello and welcome to this, the 34th episode of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader and chief of Irish theatre, Angus Og McAnally, artistic director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I'm a 15-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And once again, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And uh, yeah, another hectic week for me this week. I'm still doing this crazy crisscrossing back and forth um, over the country, waking up on either the West Coast or the East Coast, doing a day's work, traveling back down, working through the evening, getting back in a car, traveling back down again. It's all absolutely ridiculous. But you know what? If the worst thing that ever happens to you is you're going from a hugely successful show in the National Theatre to go and do a nice part in a big TV thing, it ain't the worst thing that's ever going to happen to you. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's not a bad complaint to have. My wife may well divorce me. I may never see my child again. But well, you know what? I'm putting food on the table so we can't be giving out. It's all going really well down there. Um, and also... Another little minor announcement that I kind of should have brought to you a couple of weeks ago, but I'd forgotten twice in a row. Um, Just to mention, and this is absolutely awesome, the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast, and specifically the Peter Crawley episode, is now on the syllabus of a performing arts criticism course, which is, you know, massively flattering, and that's great. Until I point out that the actual syllabus for the actual performing arts criticism course is the performing arts criticism course at Yale University in the United States. Ivy League, baby, we are taking over the world. That isn't even a joke. That is legit. That is 100% legit. Um, it's it's a crazy thing, but we're on the syllabus. Um, they're checking us out all the way over there on the east coast of the States. And I, for one, am delighted. Uh, it might be very proud. So, uh, yeah, this podcast is still going from strength to strength. You know, um, this this week when uh, the combination, I think, of, of Lynn Parker's episode from the prior week and then Declan Conlon's from, from, the, from this week or last week uh, pushed every single episode of the podcast that we've ever made, all 33 of them, uh, into the iTunes chart, which is just insane. Like, that's just ridiculous. I mean, okay, you're talking about making up, I don't know, whatever the percentage of the chart will be at that stage, but like every single episode, uh, it's amazing. I'm delighted you guys are out there listening. I'm delighted you're out there enjoying these stories that we bring you every week, these interviews, these kind of glimpses into the lives of all these great theatre makers. Um, you know, I think the stories are interesting and compelling, um, and I'm just really glad that we're sharing them and you guys think the same thing. It's a, it's a beautiful thing, and we shall power on doing it for the next while anyway. So as ever, we are bringing you this absolutely free of charge. We've promised that we'll never, ever charge for these podcasts, but as ever, the whole ethos behind this podcast is to support, promote and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre. What is the easiest way, ladies and gentlemen, to go and buy yourself some tickets? I don't care where those tickets are for, preferably the house at the Abbey, but we're not going to bang on about it. Go and buy yourself some theatre tickets. Or, as we say every week, if maybe this week or this month theatre tickets are just outside your reach, go over to one of the crowdsourcing websites like fundit.ie or one of the other ones and see if there's a a theatre programme there that you can support. Somebody fundraising for a forthcoming production. Donations start as low as a fiver and there are always great rewards. Now, every week we tell you about all the ways that you can support without putting your hand in your pocket and going subscribing over on iTunes and tweeting on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. I'm not even going to reel those off this week. We're going to strip it back down to basics. I am asking one thing this week. If you've been with us from the start, or even if you've joined late and have gone back and listened back to some episodes, you've had about seven and a half months of these interviews with some of the most exciting people that I've come across in my career and in my life. Uh, And hopefully it's been exciting for you and entertaining for you and illuminating for you. So we are asking you, if you have enjoyed the last seven and a half months work on our part, we're asking you 
for five minutes of your time to go over to iTunes and leave us a review. I bang on about it every week, and I know I say I bang on about it every week, but look, here's the deal. We don't think it's asking too much in return. At this stage, we've had um, you know reviews up on, on various iTunes pages around the world. We've had a load of reviews in from the UK, a load over from uh, the States as well, and from further afield. Um, so if you have an Irish iTunes account, make this the week where you go, do you know what? Jesus Christ, he's banging on about it every week. I'm going to do it just to shut him up. Please go on over there and leave us a review on iTunes this week if you can. Um, it does a huge amount in terms of raising our profile and getting the podcast out to a wider audience and of course by you guys raising our profile we then raise the profile of the people that we're uh, interviewing on the show and the people that we're trying to um, give plugs to and shout outs to in our weekly roundup so it uh, it keeps the whole thing going around if you've been telling yourself you should do it uh, for uh, the last few months make this week the week you do it if you haven't even been beating yourself up about it i'm going to beat you up if you don't there will be wedgies all around and that's a promise so go and do it this week if you would of course you can always follow us on facebook we are facebook.com forward slash rise productions ireland and you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Rise Ireland. So, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to our guest this week. And uh, this one was just an absolute pleasure. Um, he is the man that I have worked with more in the last uh, couple of years than any other performer or director or anything else. And it is the inspirational Dara Kelly, um, who I have worked with uh, a huge amount over the last couple of years. We we kicked off on um, Slattery Sago Saga with Performance Corporation, which we toured around. We then did that production of Hamlet from Second Age, which we also toured around. So, I mean, I've spent a lot of time on the road with this guy and got to know him pretty well. Um, and obviously now we are working on um, Tom Murphy's The House at the Abbey Theatre. Uh, the brilliant Dara Kelly, what a guy. Um, I In my head, for some reason, he was always uh, this really serious, straight actor um, who did, you know, big shows in the Abbey and whatever else. And it's only through getting to know him in the last couple of years. This guy's the funniest guy in the world. And, and I, that's why I love seeing him play comedy parts as well, because his timing is just second to none. This dude is genuinely one of the funniest guys in the business. And uh, and he is a consummate storyteller. I Genuinely, this is the first time in the, whatever, this is now episode 34. It's the first time I've really, really regretted that the format doesn't allow for, you know, two or three hours of a chat, because I could genuinely listen to this guy all day. Um, so I'm going to get you into some of these stories right now. Here he is, the wonderful Dara Kelly. The wonderful Dara Kelly. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast. This is amazing. So, this is a bit of crack. Let us take it back as we do every week to the very beginning. Where was the initial spark for you where you went, Jesus, a career in the theatre might be the way to go? Um, well, I, I, I don't really know, to be honest, but I do remember in school being better at it than anyone else because <laughs> it was a very small school and uh, things like theatre and art and stuff like that. It was very much secondary in St. Mary's. Um, there was the annual school play which everybody indulged in. Um, so anybody who wanted to get their uh, theatrical rocks off or if they wanted to cross dress or anything like that, then that was the opportunity to do it. Uh, if you want to do both, well and good. Uh, um, in fact, my first starring role in uh, If This Wasn't a Telltale Sign to My Parents, both in terms of the direction I wanted to go in professionally and in other matters more kind of ethereal I uh, I actually landed the part in Dorothy of Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz wow yes I did <laughs> and um, yeah we, we we did a section of The Wizard of Oz that was when I was about 12 or so uh, and I think I, I enjoyed that probably just a little bit too much <laughs> okay. I had a ball but um, yeah I it, uh, that time of year, the end of the year, or the school playtime, I was I was very 
that was my time of year. Right. You know? right. Um, but it wasn't, it still wasn't a conscious thing. Um, and I do actually remember uh, in first year, um, the German teacher decided by way of education that um, she would get us to do a German sketch at the end of the year uh, for the school kind of prize giving. Right. So I volunteered and um, and she got this sketch together, which is about a, a boy whose parents go away for the weekend and he has his friends around for, for a party. And um, and I played the boy uh, whose parents go away. And I also kind of took a bit of a hand in directing it. And I really had a ball doing it and uh, managed to get lots of cheesy laughs, including jumping up and fixing my hair really quickly really quickly in a mirror that was actually just a little bit too high for me you know uh, that's a funny gag it that's is a, a funny, funny gag. gag it is a funny gag it has come up in the current show <laughs> actually go around the back go around the friggin oh, back yes, in, so uh, that goes all the way back to there <laughs> excellent but uh, yeah uh, so anyway the 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 father, the the priest who does the uh, who, who did the annual play, uh, Father Barry Per Barry as he was known, um, he decided that I I would be in his next school play. He offered me a part as if I could turn it down, and uh, the play was this thing called the Golden Priest, which is about Blessed Oliver Plunkett. Uh, and he was big in the news at the time because he was just about to be somethinged by oh, the church. Yes. He, was, he, was, he, was, he was about to be pushed further along, you know, another square towards Sainthood. Uh, I don't know. On this giant snake on that board of snakes. Absolutely. Presumably there is a snake. <laughs> Somewhere, yes. you know, somebody discovered something from your dark, deepest past. Whoa. Back seven squares. And then another particular Pope comes in and says, that's not a problem. Go back. Anyway, um, Father Barry asked me to do it. And I said, I was, I would have been 14, 13 at the time. And I said, yes, but I was serious about rugby at the time. Right. So I, I, I said, yes, but I want to go to all of the serious practices that I have to go to in order to get on the team. He said, yes, 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 cause you can, cause you can, no problem, no problem. And, um, and I said, right, that's fine. Once, once we understand that, so we went ahead and we had rehearsals and I was playing the I, some old codger in it anyway. I was kind of very much aging up. Um, and uh, at one point he, he said that he was going to have a rehearsal on a Tuesday, which we had a very important uh, trial for and uh, a rugby trial. So I said I couldn't go and he said, no, no, you have to come. You have to come. I've got tapes and I want you to listen to tapes for the accent and everything. I said, look, I'll tell you what, 20 minutes and then I'm gone because this is an important trial and I have to go. And he said, um, uh, of course, of course, of course, of course, for heaven's sake. So I went on that Tuesday, I went up to the uh, rehearsal room and I was there with all the other boys who were waiting for Father Barry. And 15 minutes is coming and I looked at one of our number, he was about two years ahead of me, Carl Curtis, I remember, and I said to him, jeez. Uh, if he doesn't turn up in five minutes, I'm gone. You know, I mean, I have a, you know, he's like, you're not going, Father Barry, you're kidding, you know, he, he'll flip. And I said, no, no, excuse me, I have an arrangement. I have stated clearly, I said 20 minutes. I said that uh, at, at any point, you know, when there was a conflict of interest between uh, rugby, and so I, ha I had my contract, you know. Uh, <laughs> and you, if you're, if you're dealing with a 14 year old boy, uh, believe me, if you say something, they will hold you to it. And, um, and by fuck, I was going to do that, you know. So, anyway, um, 
and the 20 minutes passed and I went and I went over and I started changing. Father Barry then uh, arrived in the rehearsal room and said, get her? And uh, of course, uh, eventually they buckled under questioning and pointed out that I'd gone over to, uh, to uh, change. And he came over, I was half in and half out of my uh, rugby kit. And he said, go on, Kelly, you're going back. Can you do a close? And I said, no, no, I'm sorry. We, uh, we had an agreement. I pointed out clause two, subsection three, whatever it was. And um, a verbal agreement is the same as a, any, anything else. And, uh, and he said, no, no, you're coming with me. And he started pulling at me. I said, I'm not going. I'm not get your hands off me and all of this. And it just escalated a bit. And then he pulled me a little bit too hard. And by way of getting him off me, I punched him in the chest. Now he went back onto the bench. Uh, this priest, Father Barry, he taught my father. He was a fit oh, man. man, a fit man, but an old man. And um, and he fell back onto the bench, winded, totally shocked, wordless. He sat there staring at me for a while, and then he left the room. And I just didn't know what I'd done. Meanwhile, I just thought I've got to, I better go down. I went down to the practice. I don't remember it, of course. I kind of, I probably knocked everything on. I probably yeah. know, just kind of um, fell about the place. I went home that night, and I have to tell you, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. Maybe he was going to die in his sleep. I could go in the following day. There would be police. Um, I, I did not know. I was. It was the worst day I ever had in school. I went in. We were in at nine o'clock. I was in class at nine. I knew I was going to be called out. That was for certain. I just didn't know if the man was dead or if he was in hospital or what the hell happened or whatever. So eventually, you know, 10 o'clock passed. And I thought, oh, please, please, somebody just come and tell me what has happened. What, what, what are you going to do to me? What, how, like, how are you going to do me? You, you're going to expel me. I know you are. I, the, the whole night previously, I was looking at my mother and my father. They didn't have a clue about it and everything. I was just weighing on my head, on, on my heart. Eventually, um, Mr. McMurkin came in, he was the vice principal and disciplinarian in the school. Uh, he was also on the Fianna Fáil National Executive. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and he says, uh, well now, Mr. Gillespie, how are the boys behaving today? And I knew he was there for me. I knew he was there for me. And I was just standing there. I knew he was here for me. But he just talked about everything. He said, I see the footballs. Well, I think my boys misbehaving at all today. Said, no, 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 no. I didn't think so. I didn't. That's great, that's great, that's great. Uh, Mr. Gillespie, I won't detain you much longer. I'm looking for Dara Kelly. Dara, if you'd step outside there now, Mr. Kelly. Yeah. And I just had to, and this is after a good seven minutes of what's going on. Oh, wow. I was, and then I was made wait outside the office, and then I was called into the office. Eventually, and I really, I thought, well, another school, it's going to be another school, I thought, mm. and uh, I, uh, I sat there and Father Hurley, who was uh, the principal and president of the school, he said, Father Jim Hurley, nice enough man, shiny head, and uh, he says, Dada, what are we going to do? Yourself and Father Barry had a bit of a misunderstanding yesterday, and it came to an altercation. Yes, Father, I, 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 and I didn't know what to say, and I just, I just sat there very damply in the chair, and uh, he said, "Oh, Dana, 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 I've got bad news. Of course, you knew that this would have consequences, and it does." I, said, I know, Father. I know. I know. Yes, Dana. 
I don't think you'll be doing the school play. <laughs> 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 Uh, he was playing with me as well. I mean, but uh, like I obviously I, I think father. I don't know what the politics of the school were, but I think pair was a bit of an old pain in the arse. Maybe, or something, <laughs> you know, uh, but uh, dear Jesus, yeah, yeah. But we all live to tell the tale. But look, <laughs> let's let's fast forward on slightly to then going to college because. At that stage, you didn't go and do a drama degree. I presume there weren't many drama degrees there not really, around at the time. Actually, there weren't. I mean, I, if you wanted to do something and you were serious about it, you had to kind of, you know, do marathon runs and uh, fast for, you know, two years or something and, uh, and go to RADA. Yes. You know, um, and so you had to get all sorts of sponsorship or whatever. Um, and that was very expensive. Uh, that was very much out of my reach. Yeah. I went to Trinity, um, and I also I was also playing with myself. You know, I was kind of like uh, fooling myself into thinking that you know ah, <laughs> I did that theatre thing. But the reason I went to Trinity was a because it was in the centre of town. Um, B it was a beautiful campus. Yeah, just gorgeous campus. Uh, so then it was a question of trying to find something to do in it. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I <laughs> this guy came into school. I can't remember his name. But he, he taught him the course that I eventually did, and he pointed out that in your second year, you didn't have any exams. You just went straight into third year. And I thought, that is just, that is just too lovely for words. It's just now, was this the economics degree? And if so, does that explain an awful bit what's happened to this country in the last few years? <laughs> it probably <then>. does. It <laughs> probably does. It was. Uh, it was ESS uh, at the time. I uh, don't know what it is now. Um, but yeah, it was the kind of business degree, uh, economics degree. It also went into sociology. It did. It did a huge number of. In first year, that was the great thing about it. You had everything, you know, yeah. maths, uh, law, um, economics, politics, and everything. I ended up doing economics and politics, thinking I, I probably wanted to be a, a journalist. Um, but uh, the, one of the reasons also I went was because I'd seen a, a former schoolmate of mine, David Teven. Right. Um, uh, who ran and founded Galadlas. Um, David was in Players um, the year before I arrived in Trinity and he was doing a, uh, a show with Martin Murphy, um, I think it was. Um, and they were both really, really, Martin was extraordinary, you know, and, um, and I just thought, you know, this is, this is a lovely little theatre. Yeah. The Irish Times come here on view, and they look like they're really bloody serious and everything. And I just, I just got a real butterfly then. I thought, now I can't really fuck up because uh, my parents will see that I'm doing an economics degree, and um, and I'll be saying that I'm probably going to be doing journalism, and they'll be relieved, and I'll be lying, and uh, and I'll be over here in players and. So yeah, it was, uh, did it was a very easy choice. Did players take up the bulk of your time while you were there? Yes. <laughs> yes, it did. And how wonderful a training ground was that? Uh, it was fantastic because just because of those people there, you know, I mean, uh, aforementioned uh, Martin and David, but there was, you know, there was a there was a big history and a very good recent history with you know Gabriel Reedy and John Comiskey and people like that who were in the business and yeah. um, and a lot of others. 
um, in the 70s of course like this is the 80s but you know there was a, a list of uh, famous people as well and we happened to go through a very very purple patch there's no doubt about it it was really quite extraordinary Pauline McLean myself Declan Hughes Lynn um, Stanley Arthur you know uh, Helen was um, was around um, it kind of seems ridiculous that there were that many yeah. heavyweights of Irish theatre knocking around this small theatre I've got to say more besides people like Rosemary Fine and people like you know who you're not going to have heard of who I think were as good and as capable and all of those things many people who wow. were you know um, and so the standard of work there was really quite extraordinary and Sometimes I think people became conscious of the fact that a hardcore were kind of like taking over the gaff and, you know, uh, and I don't think we were too worried about that. We just got on with it and, um, and the standard went up and if it wasn't of that standard, then there was a certain kind of sniffiness about it. Um, and that was, you know, a lot of people could argue, look, it's just supposed to be an amateur society, but I suppose we weren't thinking of it like that at all already you know whether or not right in the front of your mind you're saying in the front of our minds we were really right you know, if anybody wasn't saying it myself and um, uh, Ian Fitzgibbon uh, who was there as well um, and uh, we, we were saying you know like two years two years give it two years and for not you know doing something in two years you know that was rubbish as well yeah. you know I mean uh, I think we, we all kind of somehow somewhere along the line committed to it um, and it was a lot earlier than you know when we left and found it and for you there at the time were you aware looking around at these people I mean was Lynn Parker Lynn Parker then when it was Arthur Arthur then you know I mean it's in our world yeah you know I mean it's hard to we I mean we go to shows um, like in the gate in, 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 in the Abbey or the gate even or wherever you yeah. know um, and uh, uh, shows that I'd be either taken to, you know, by my parents or going to with, with Declan or Lynn or uh, whoever. And, um, and you'd be very conscious of, of where you thought, where that was and where you were, where yeah. you thought you could be. And I, I, I suppose, even as a kid, you, you know, when you're looking at the stage and you're watching people working, uh, a little bit of you, even at a younger time, is kind of going... Think I could be there yeah. somewhere, you know, not knowing but feeling, just feeling, a feeling akin. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, you know, uh, and 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 understanding why we're all here and and what it was and the buzz and the charge and um, and I think probably unique uh, for unique among the audience, we would probably feel a nervousness that perhaps. Uh, like the audience feels a collective and probably a slight nervousness of anticipation and of the live performance and I would like to think that they do but there's an added one of just the the knowledge of of, of, of what goes on to yeah. put it on without knowing what it is that's supposed to go on yeah. which is a, a um, and so then, talk to me a little bit about the birth of Rough Magic. We spoke, we spoke obviously with Lynn about this as well, but what was it like being around at that time? Because there is a thing that you were there for some of it, and then, and then Borstal Boy happened as well. So let's, let's talk a yeah. bit about that. Um, I, was, I was there for, well, I was actually uh, in the first season. Um, I, <laughs> I, 
I came out of uh, Trinity with, uh, I, I had to repeat my exams right. um, after uh, my third year and uh, I failed them, uh, which left me with an ordinary degree. Okay. Um, and, uh, and actually philosophically, on the basis of what our economics professor said on our first day of, uh, of lectures, he said, uh, Loudon Ryan, he said, um, you know, boys, it's not so much how much you... You, you realise how much you know after your three, in my case, or four years <laughs> in uh, Trinity. It's how much you don't know. And I reckoned on his philosophy, I was probably the greater beneficiary of the course than anybody who did the full four years. Um, because I didn't realise exactly as much as they should, <laughs> how much uh, they don't know. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, I... Kind of, I, I I left the company in order to um, to fumble those exams, and um, and I didn't really go back immediately because the season was over anyway. Yeah. Um, and uh, things took a kind of a just a, a slightly different course, you know. Um, so in a sense, it was before Borsal Boy, really, that I that I left the company. But I I, I didn't leave it kind of uh, emotionally. I never have. Yeah. You know. Um, but the first season, the first season was just one of unmitigated chaos. A chaos with a, a really strong purpose to it, you know. I mean, I, I looking back on it, I think it's remarkable that we survived on bananas and McDonald's and uh, getting up at, uh, I don't know what, to get into town to start rehearsals at probably at half nine in the morning. Um, and then at some point in the morning, myself and Stan and Arthur, we, we, we would be rehearsing um, at The Big House by Brendan Bean and Talbot's Box by Tom Kilroy. I was playing Talbot, um, a mighty and a beautiful and a great play, and it has to be done again soon. Um, and, uh, and then we, myself and Arthur and um, Stanley, were going out to Horizon theatre company who rehearsed out in fucking Dorky <laughs> and uh, we had to rehearse the castle out there we were doing the Tempest Stanley was playing Prospero Arthur was playing the King and I was playing Sebastian and um, and we were doing it because Horizon got money they got social welfare money or some yeah. kind of kit deal you know and uh, so we needed cash and we and there was all sorts of friction about people being late for rehearsals and um, and Horizon got all stroppy. And I remember sending them like, almost like a solicitor's letter about, we are concerned about your treatment of your actors and so forth. <laughs> all pouring over this letter, kind of, you know, uh, late night in O'Neill's, you know, <laughs> the international bar downstairs going, look what he's, look, he's PP'd it to, or CC'd it to fucking, you know, David Norris and <laughs> the world, oh, our shame, our shame. You know, and it was <laughs> scheduling problems, you know. Which you can imagine, but um, but it was it was really uh, it was just kind of immense hard work, you know, yeah. and non-stop. How possible would it be now, or how possible is it now for for that same kind of thing to go on? For I mean, Lynn spoke about you know that there was very little work around for people, so everyone's going look, we're all in this together. Let's just go and do it. And in, you yeah. know, in many respects, that's coming back around again. Is it possible? Yeah. You know, for the for the younger and emerging companies that are knocking around at the moment, is it possible that for them in twenty five years that they could be rough magic? Are, there, are the conditions right to do it again? I think they are. Yeah. Do you? I do. 
I do. I think what you say is right. I think um, one of the things I was I was aware of, I, I kind of thought, you know, if I did want to be a journalist, the 1980s struck me as a kind of time in which uh, it would probably be a good time to be one because I was studying uh, politics and economics. Politics was my favourite subject, really, of all of them. And um, we had three general elections in an 18-month period. I mean, you don't get more kind of practical, you know, observation opportunities than that. And we're just up the road from the door. Um, and, uh, but, but the atmosphere at the time was one of, you know, quiet desperation, I suppose. It, there, there was also, uh, in Ireland, certainly um, in theatre, there seemed to be um, very much a, a lack of focus on that. Right. You know, and and in terms of writing, there didn't seem to be any kind of cohesive approach to writing that kind of material for theatre uh, at all. I mean, Vince or two have touched on it, you know, about the about the, the boom years and all yeah. that. Jesus, we weren't doing it in the nineteen eighties. You know, I think what we were looking for in some ways was exploring we did english writers like harold brenton and harold barker and um and people like that carol churchill you know looking for a a a message for us in all of that and an understanding a kind of like to try and engage in class warfare over here obviously wasn't a a realistic thing because in some ways it wasn't as clear as 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 it is now i think there is a class system now i think people are a little bit more aware of it it's still very very hard to delineate to to find your way through the 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 monolith to find those to find those 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 cracks which divide you know because um but i think there is um and to a degree there always has been um and those so so those plays were very explicitly british but it was an attempt to kind of make that sense over here yeah um without the material i suppose really in which to do it um so that is in turn what you know generated a boost for rough magic to seek its own writers and to seek its own material and to start seeking its own petrol really to burn and that's and what was that was that what digging for fire did then digging for fire yes very much so i think it, um and importantly you know uh, declan um who had been i am a wonderful director for rough magic um, he, uh, you know, he, he would say himself he didn't have the, the, the kind of big theatrical picture that um, that Lynn would have, um, and you know, staging wasn't his thing. But he was, I, I, he was very committed, and he was, he was good at getting what he wanted from, from certain people. You know, and it was, uh, and I, I, and one of the, I always, uh, one of these I always love working with Declan. It was great crack anyway, but as well. His choice of music was, <laughs> I just, it was faultless to me. Yeah. So that's, that's all I can say, you know. Uh, I, just, uh, I just loved it. But, um, but yeah, I think um, Declan learned an awful lot, you know, really fast and quick about, about the writers and about, you know, um, the writers we, we were working with and what it was he wanted to do. And, um, uh, yeah, and, and Digging for Fire inspired so many other people. And uh, and also it, it, it gave us uh, as a as a company you know an extended company um, it it gave us a, a feeling that you know there are among us 
um, we, 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 we do obviously we have stuff to say but yes we can say it as you look back over the, the, the rough magic journey in its totality now which I realise is kind of a fairly epic sweep are there highlights for you of particular shows that stand out? I mean, you know, I would happily talk about shows like Improbable Frequency or Ten Years True all day. But I mean, for you, is there anything, even one that particularly stands out in memory? Um, oh God, I, yeah, there are there are so many. There are there are really there are so many that I'm very very proud of. Many. One of the things one of the things I adore about the when you look at the history of magic is just the the sheer the expansive work yeah. you know I mean it's, it's it, it, um, it crosses so many divides one of my favourite pieces of work would be you know Solemn Mass for um, A Full Moon in Summer yeah. it's a unique piece and I remember when we did a reading of it then uh, 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 and uh, the rest of us who were involved in that reading we were all saying we have to do this this has to be done and yet you know and we did it and I, I adored it. I adored doing it. I, I adored the sense, the, the theatricality of the anticipation, the need and the commune between the audience and the cast was unique. There's no doubt about that. I hadn't really experienced that in quite the same way as with audiences. But when you begin to realise or appreciate with the passage of time that, you know, theatre is a kind of mass sometimes. It yeah. is a, a community. And then uh, uh, Solemn Mass was an extreme version of it. And I loved it. Uh, the, the amount of concentration it took and the, the frustration in learning it was just extraordinary. But the rewards were just so much. Absolutely. It was wonderful. I, I adored it. Um, I, Don Carlos was another uh, favourite. I loved the huge epic sweep of that play, you know. And I, and I loved the way you could keep people on their seats for over three hours and they're still waiting for the next bit, yeah. you know? And, um, and I, I, these are things that, that make theatre great, you know? And I, and I always want to be a, one of those characters, you know? Yeah. I, I would look at uh, movies and plays and I would go, yeah, I, that's, I could enjoy myself in that world, exploring that world. Yeah. Because I'm interested in, in, in history and, and, um, and politics and all those things and I just, you know, how amazing was it to perform that IRA stroke Nazi rebel song around the globe as it's now, as it's now been done yeah. with unfurling banners of yeah. shamrock shaped swastikas have been yes. my recollection. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the, 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 the story of, uh, of Improbable Frequency is, is a long one and it's, it's full of fun and laughs and uh, it's a full heartbreak and tears uh, but it was it was great fun it was an unmitigated joy to do the first time we did that um there were there were loads of things i you know there were loads of t little small things that were important you know uh, about it about where to do it about how to do it about you know uh, gestures you made and all of that kind of stuff and it was um it was great fun figuring out it really was uh, Alan Ferguson's um, shamrock swastikas unfurling <laughs> at the right moment was just a coup de theatre that I, I can't you know I, I wanted to see it I wanted <laughs> to be with you it was but the first time the first time we did like the first preview of that 
I, I can safely tell you, um, and Declan Connor was in as well, he tell you, uh, it was like a car crash, you know, you just, you went in one side and then you, the show finished and then you counted everyone and you said, yeah, we're all here, okay, well done, we're all, well done, well done, <laughs> you know, um, and, uh, and it was hard to remember what happened. But um, as the, just one of the great things about that particular moment was if you could just give yourself a second to have a look at the audience, uh, which I very rarely can because I just lose it, but um, uh, was, you know, when the swastikas unfurled, was just everybody to their, uh, loads of women especially, to their hands out wide and then brought them back into their mouths. <laughs> Like that, they just uh, hands out and then to the rounds, and it was it was fantastic. It was crazy. You get a picture of it. I'm sure loads of people did it exactly the same time, <laughs> as if it was choreographed, you know. Um, and it was it was brilliant fun. And Arthur's lyrics obviously are, are a dream, you know. Um, yeah, but, the, man, yeah. the man knows how to write a play. He does. He does need. Uh, it's just uh, it's just amazing. Look, talk generally to me then about. What keeps you going with the business now? I mean, what do you go and see much theatre? What does it feel when you're when you're in an audience? What do you like seeing from an actor on stage? What are you trying to do when you're on stage? What do you like seeing in the eyes of someone across a stage from you, as in terms of a scene partner? What what to you makes a good actor? Uh, I don't know. I I, I mean, um, we've you know we've got a fantastic bunch of actors in this country you know um i've i suppose i've done most of my work with rough magic and in the abbey but within rough magic and the abbey i've come across uh so many different companies you know um and each company is is unique obviously um and, and just in terms of, of of companies in general i mean um the, the the most important thing for for a company for a show to be good is actually for the company to be easy in itself. And um, the best shows are the shows where the cast get on well, yeah. where they know where there is a there is a, a, a full intent of what it is we are collectively at, and there's and, and, and the director is, is going to keep us in that in that shape and in that on that course, and. Um, and that there should be great enjoyment and humour in doing that. Um, uh, of course, there are some plays where it's you know hard to see joy and humour and, and and so forth. But it's even within that. I mean, there are certainly those plays. But Don Carlos, there isn't a single gag. Uh, nice. I don't think there's a moment where somebody goes <laughs> in the audience. But it was the funniest rehearsal. I right. think I ever remember. I mean, just just by way of trying to explain things to each other, you know, that was that was how we that was how we did, it. and that I suppose leaving the material and made it more concentrated for us. Um, I've been very lucky in those terms with with the companies I've uh, worked with, um, and I've freelanced for so many years, and outside of the Abbey and Rough Magic and the Gate and uh, Performance Corporation and Andrews Lane, the Gaiety, you know all over um, and I'm not going to say it was all roses I've come across um, you know absolute bastards in my time yeah you know? uh, we all do um, it colours the game but um, yeah I, I've 
I have been very fortunate in, in, in terms of the people that I've, that I've worked with. In terms of, I don't know, I, I don't have, when I go and see a play, um, I, one of the things about seeing plays in Dublin is um, you're going to see uh, people you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, that is, now that's a busman's holiday. You know, if you're away in London and you're looking at a play, that's not, that's going to the theatre. Yeah. You know, um, and it's nice. I find it a relief going to the theatre over in London. Okay. You know? um, because you want, you, you're you invested in Dublin. You yes. know, you, you want it to be good. And, yeah. you've, uh, and, and that's a nice thing. You know, it's, 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 in, in London, I just go and I say, oh, what happened to me there now? Well, you can just be a, a punter. You can just be an audience yes, member. Just go, let it wash yeah. over you. Like you know, let yeah. it be what it is. Whereas here, like you say, you'll know ninety five percent of the cast. Yeah. You'll have worked with over half of them. Mm. You might have worked on a play by that writer before. You yeah. might, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So it's, I guess, there is that distinction. There is a bit, and a, and there's a there's a kind of a, an engine in there, you know, or whatever, or a hope. And, but I mean, I mean, that's a it's a it's a good thing as well, but. It's not. Um, it's not just going to the theatre. It's not like like you used to go before you started doing it. Yeah. You know. I think the closest you can ever get to that again is if you go away and yeah. have a look at it in the states or, or in England. Talk to me then about ambitions for you and what I mean. Is there anything that you? I mean, like you say, you have worked with all the biggest companies here. You've played some of the biggest parts and some of the greatest shows. Uh, as I look back over the last, I mean, however many number of years, kind of big standard shows, you've been involved in an awful lot of them. Mm. Are, I mean, is, are there things left for you to do? Are there things that you've always wanted to have a crack at a show you'd love to do, a part you'd love to play? Um, to be honest, I don't, I, 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 I've, I haven't, um, I've never really looked on it like that. I've never, uh, since the first day, I've never really done that. I never thought. I, I have thought. Oh, I'd like to do that. You know. Um, uh, but I, you know, as a as a kid, I was never kind of angling towards Hamlet or angling towards the Playboy, of the Western World, or right. you know. Um, I I I was kind of like going emerging at a moment in time and saying, you know, what's going on? Uh, what's available? I wasn't. I was never really planning. I suppose. Um, which might explain the kind of haphazard nature of, of everything that's, that's happened. Um, I mean, because it has been, you know, there's no doubt about it. It's been a little bit mad, uh, and you can see that there's no rhyme or reason to it. I don't expect there ever will be. I, there's, there, there's a couple of things that I would think about doing, but to be honest with you, Angus, I'd keep it to myself. Right. I, um, I, I, and, I, and I think about them, and, you know, and I ruminate over them, and if I think... I'll approach someone, and right. um, and you won't know about my shameful, you know, uh, <laughs> on their part refusal because uh, I won't have told you what, yeah. uh, what that part is. But um, yeah, I, I, in general, I don't, and I've never, you know, headed in a in a certain direction. There are, remember myself and uh, John Owen wanted to kind of uh, mount uh, uh, the Henrys. Right. Because you just thought, you know, Shakespeare in Dublin wasn't being done at the time at all, really. And um, I had done um, Henry the Fourth with the Shakespeare Society. And I, I just think they're great plays. And I also think um, doing the histories in 
uh, done would have been a nice idea. We both kind of did, and um, uh, but uh, I think that's the only time that uh, I, I kind of thought, you know, yes, this is something I really want to put on, you know. Aside from that, you know, projects come up um, that you hear about with um, either in rough magic, like in probable frequency, and you yeah. think, oh, fuck it, you know, that's got to happen. Uh, and when it has happened, you think it has to happen again, you yeah. know, and, uh, and those kind of things. And in fact, you know, if it could, I would, I would have that up again. And, Permanently. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, I swear to you, it's, it's just such a joy to do yeah. it. Yeah. I would, I would, and I think I think it's um, appreciated as it is. It'll always be underappreciated. Yeah, it's a little bit. There's a there's a certain amount of you know. I've I've done the importance of being honest three times now. Um, I've seen it a good few times. Uh, I'm still surprised by the first act. You know, I mean, it's, like you may oh, and there's a couple of favourite lines, and you got the scene, and then it's the handbag and the cigarette and everything. But there's still there's still stuff that just kind of. You know, it explodes in your face just when you think you had it all mapped up. You say, oop, ah, shit, I forgot that one. You know, it's great. It's fantastic stuff. Great to be constantly surprised. Well, I, I look forward to many more evenings in the theatre being constantly surprised by you uh, again. I, so. I love it. It's been <laughs> an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having a chat with us. Thank you, Angus. Thank you. There you have it, the great Derek Kelly. I really was just so sorry that we couldn't let the tape just run all goddamn day. I would listen to him tell those stories all night, all day long. The guy's uh, the guy's an absolute legend. Such a funny man, just so great to be around. Uh, and we're having a ball, man. He is stealing the show in the house at the moment. He's just he's hilarious. He's a great guy and such an entertaining guy to be around, uh, and such a phenomenally gifted actor. Like there's so much stuff that he's done that we didn't even get a chance to touch on today. You know, you look at kind of you know the big screen work he's done and kind of you know the big blockbuster movies like Veronica Gear or even you know homegrown stuff like Paths to Freedom and stuff that we didn't even touch on um, you know and the fact that he's toured shows all around the world and you know been to you know Moscow and it was still under you know crazy communist rule all this kind of stuff like the guy's just lived such an amazing life and had such an amazing career I would happily uh, I would happily listen to him all day do you know something he might be the first one we revisit actually if we're going to go back and do a second episode with someone that might just be the one to go back to uh, he's just such a great guy to be around so look we shall bring it to our usual weekly roundup of what is going on around the country and um, the pavilion theater has junk ensemble with their brilliant dance piece five ways to drown um, the viking theater has cafe chanton with um sinead murphy and arena gallagher uh, the gate still has that production of glengarry glen ross going on which is uh, by all accounts absolutely amazing um, Bewley's cafe theater has sonia kelly's show wheelchair on my face which was of course one of the show in a bag shows um, and then that is going to be followed by and this is super exciting a show called the candidate by Gino Oxley, um, which will be starring Francis Healy. Now, Francis Healy is, I would say, 95% responsible for me choosing um, the acting course in Trinity as my place to go and train. Francis was part of that original year when it had shifted from the two-year diploma to the three-year degree, so she was in there with the legendary Brian Burroughs, the Connor Delaney's of the world, all that gang. Um, and as I've bored you all with before on this podcast, I thought these were the greatest actors of all time. I went in to see each and every one of their three um, graduating year shows, um, and they were phenomenal. And Frances in particular was particularly phenomenal. She is just an amazing performer. Um, and this show looks like it's going to be really, really exciting up in that lunchtime slot up in Bewley's. I am booking my tickets for it immediately. I suggest you do the same. Um, also around town, The Dubliner's Dilemma is on at the new City Arts uh, on Bachelor's Walk, and that'll be with Declan Gorman um, and going into a lunchtime slot there again so lots of uh, lots of choice around for um, for lunchtime slots over the next little while 
Um, at the 10 Days in Dublin Festival uh, will be kicking off, which will have a load of different stuff going on. Um, obviously, John Curvin's show that we spoke about last week with Little Room, Future is Blank, uh, will be uh, on as part of that. But there's a load of different shows um, at a load of different venues. Again, far too many for me to list out here. But you can get all the information on all of those shows uh, at 10daysindublin.ie. And it's finally here, the relaunch of Theatre Upstairs at Lanigan's on the Keys here in Dublin. Uh, it's kicking off with their first show, which is a world premiere of Jimmy Murphy's new play, Perfidia, uh, which will be starring the beautiful and exceptionally talented Una Kavanagh uh, and Rosanna Parcel. And that will be directed by Peter Gaynor. And I think, if I'm not wrong, this is um, Mr. Gaynor's directorial debut, but I'm open to correction on that. But that's going to be well worth checking out uh, and getting in to see, if at all possible. Um, if you need details on that, you can book with them, theatreupstairs at gmail.com. Uh, or you can phone them on 086-244-9511. I'm certainly going to be going and checking that one out as well. I think it's going to be absolutely spectacular. Um, And then, of course, the Abbey Theatre has the house from the great Tom Murphy. Uh, If you are thinking of popping along, and hey, why the hell wouldn't you, um, I would advise that you book, and advise that you book much sooner rather than later. The last three or four or five performances have been almost completely sold out for us, and we're talking about like on a Monday and Tuesday evenings uh, are completely selling out. So uh, don't miss it. And also, this is a much shorter run than we would normally have at the Abbey. I think we've only got another maybe two and a half weeks to go. So uh, don't find yourself stuck in the last week without uh, the chance to get a ticket because um, I think it's I think it's probably going to be very, very difficult to get your hands on tickets as we head into the uh, the final kind of 10 or 12 performances. So do please come and check us out. I think we're making good work there and I think you'll have a, a pretty spectacular night at the theatre. Um, as we look around the country, obviously down in Cork at the moment, the Cork Midsummer Festival is going on. Tom Creed's first bash at it down there. Uh, and by Jesus, the report's coming from Rebel County have been phenomenal. I think Tom has done uh, what seems to be a pretty spectacular job down there. All the information on the Midsummer shows down there are at corkmidsummer.com. And as we look north to the other end of the country, in Belfast, the importance of being earnest with the brilliant Paddy Scully and the gorgeous Ailey Simmons is still continuing at the Lyric. So that is us. That is episode 34 in the books. We will, of course, be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. This has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Ogue McAnally, I'm Angus Ogue McAnally. We'll see you next week. <laughs>